This is the Spec Sheet, the Internet's premier technology podcast. If you're considering suicide, please hold off. The listener count isn't yet where we'd like it to be. Call the show now at 573-837-4948. That's 573-837-4948. And now, here's the Spec Sheet. Curtis Thornton, I'm Michael Van Dieven. What's up, buddy? How you doing? Uh, this this edition is powered by Windows 10. Is it really on your end? This is powered by yes, Windows 10. Yeah, we're, let's just wait to see how many crashes I have during the episode. Well, we're happy to bring this episode to you today. We're hoping that it fulfills all of your Windows 10 dreams. And we're sorry we couldn't be here last year. The whole Windows 10 subject would have been far more pertinent had we been here last week. But uh, we weren't able to be. Curtis had a, essentially, he would have been working under sweatshop conditions because Curtis's studio is, I mean, it's pretty much in a garage, right? Yes. Okay, so there was... Well, yeah, it's a garage converted, yeah. into. A- so there was no AC, and there's never been AC other than a portable AC unit, Curtis has, which is loud and stupid, and... But beyond the loud stupidity of this portable AC that Curtis has, it just got so hot last week that it couldn't even begin to keep up. It was what ninety one, ninety two in that yeah. room. I can't even believe a computer I could. All the- I can't even believe a computer could function in that sort of an environment. Yes, usually during episodes, I turn it off right before we go on air, and I watch the temperature rise throughout the the, the episode. This time, and it usually gets into the 90s. I think I've complained about it before, but man, it was so hot. Like the the portable air conditioner couldn't keep up with what the temperature was already at five o'clock. And so I go to turn on all of my equipment and anyone who's worked with audio equipment uh, or computers knows that they generate lots of heat. And I just watched it go up higher and higher. And I'm like, man, I'm going to pass out. If, well, if I stay in this room. it would have been lovely to bring this show to you last week so that we could talk about Windows 10 right as the uh, new version of Windows was being pushed out to everybody. Uh, well, actually, it would have been just before. Had we done yeah, a show it last week? Yep, that would have been perfect. Well, not really, know, because was... we, we wouldn't have had the opportunity necessarily to talk about our impressions of the OS. Um, I've had almost a full week now of using Windows 10. And by the way... I did not use any of the preview versions. I, I specifically said to myself, hey, look, what's the point? I don't want to use a version of Windows that comes chock full of features that may or may not be there in the final version. Every time Microsoft does these previews, there's always stuff that people like and get excited about, and then it gets ripped out of there, uh, and we never hear another thing about it. I think one of the biggest examples of that was... In the Vista era, oh god, there was a new file system that was supposedly 
Well, but then again, that that never even made its way into any of the previews. Back, it just was something everybody was talking about. about, right? But I, I, I'm just not interested in. I, I feel like I'll just wait and and use the final product because look, I'm not a dummy, so I can figure this thing out in the span of about half an hour. You know, I mean, <laughs> right? You can pretty well get the gist of what it is exactly that's changed in the OS after just a little time has passed. If you're already natively familiar with Windows, there aren't going to be any huge surprises. So I don't need months of preparation so that I know what's coming with Windows 10. That's why I don't use any of those preview versions. And uh, add to that the well, fact you- add to that the fact that Microsoft made it very clear that you would have to do a clean install when the RTM version of Windows 10 was pushed. That's even eroded the purpose behind messing with it even further. It was just, okay, here's another headache I'll have to deal with. So I waited. So you're telling me all that time I spent installing almost every preview release that came out was wasted time? I think you wasted, yes, I think brief portions of your life were wasted. You can never get them back. Time is a river that keeps on slipping by just eroding bit by bit our uh, feeble existence. Well, I'm going to send plane. Steve Ballmer uh, an invoice anyway for it. I, I blame him for the fact that I had to do that. Well, I uh, I have to say I'm, I'm rather pleased. I did on my primary machine at home, uh, I did a Windows 10 upgrade from 7, from 7 home, 64-bit, I did an upgrade. And I never... I am not someone who believes in Windows upgrades. I believe that you have got to do a clean install. The upgrade process has never been what people expect it to be, which is a clean, you know, a a fully functional version of Windows running on your PC. There's always a hitch. There's always some sort of crap left over from the previous install. I mean, if you think about the thousands and thousands and thousands of files and on top of that, all the uh, limitless numbers of settings responsible for making Windows work. It's just unbelievable that anybody anywhere can upgrade at all, and it works. Uh, that, to me, is just... And on just the limitless numbers of hardware configurations that people have on their PCs. It's not like a Mac where you pretty much know what it is you're installing this operating system on. Microsoft has to make all this crap work for the limitless number of configurations people could have out there. And well, the, the, the fact that it works with, at all just amazes me. Yeah, with Mac, they they set versions to be or versions that hardware is obsolete for too. So there comes a point which you you just can't do in the Windows world to say that you cannot install this on this hardware because we've deemed it as not unable to give you a good experience. There are people who installed Vista on machines that had no business running it based on the minimum specs, and it still ran. I really feel like Microsoft should have brought the Vista people along with this upgrade because from a hardware mm-hmm. resource standpoint, any Vista machine can handle Windows 10. As a matter of fact, a Vista machine would work a lot less. Uh, its workload would be decreased significantly by running Windows 10 over Vista. Um, and add to that just the steaming pile of garbage that the whole Vista experience was for so many people, regardless of whether it was 
Vista's fault specifically or not, the perception is there and just as sort of a, hey, you know what? We acknowledge we screwed up way back then and we still didn't even make it right with the uh, Windows 7 upgrade, which should have been free for Vista users. So we're finally going to get around to that because I, I don't really know of any architectural reasons why the Vista people couldn't have been brought along on this. At least give them the option of a clean install if it was too much headache to facilitate an upgrade process for those people. I mean, just get everybody moved forward onto the new platform. I, I suspect that there may have been some raised uh, there. There may have been a few raised eyebrows in the uh, board of directors meetings at various PC OEMs had Microsoft chosen to do that because you go upgrading all these six, seven-year-old PCs to Windows 10, you've just possibly eliminated the possibility of a, a number of PC sales that would otherwise have occurred. And so I'm, I'm sure that there are a lot of boards of directors that were happy to see they didn't backdate that upgrade, the free upgrade as far as Vista. They stopped with 7. I thought for quite a while that they were uh, going to include Vista in that. And I was even here on this show telling people that. And I am convinced that I saw that somewhere and was led to believe that. And then somewhere along the line it changed. I don't know where. Yeah, that that's such an arbitrary decision. This The new universal version that Windows 10 is scales down so many things. that They, they could have limited you know, what runs on a Vista machine based on hardware specs. So I, uh, as I said, I did the upgrade on my primary machine at home, which is a Windows 7 Home 64-bit system. I never do an upgrade, but in this case, I thought, you know what? I I really am eager to finally see what it is exactly that this Windows 10 is comprised of. I I just did not really care too terribly much. It wasn't at all like the Windows 7 run-up. You remember at the end of that Vista era and we all knew Windows 7 is coming, we're all using the developer previews. I guess that's what they called it at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, we were all using the developer previews. Everybody's just getting erect over how stable it was and there was a lot of excitement in the air people having windows 7 parties you remember that you could have a windows 7 party <laughs> and like if you sent the correct information to steve Ballmer, he would send you a an autographed copy of windows 7 pro which i guess you were supposed to put on the mantle uh at your windows 7 party for all of the party goers to view and uh ogle and be jealous over uh and and then when the festivities really started later that night and uh, you pull out the lubes and the whips and everybody just gets a little juicy that's when you really get excited about that windows 7 box sitting up there on the mantle don't you that seems to me that's <laughs> i don't the, remember those parties that seems I, to I me that's windows the way 95. it was supposed to work I, <laughs> right I believe. but anyway well, I, I still ha I, I still had a party like that for windows 10 well uh my point is that that excitement level that i recall in the run-up to windows 7 just I didn't There's, feel that coming up on this Windows 10 release. And I think that that shows just exactly how much the world has changed in three or four years in terms of this mobile universe that we're all now living in. And I think that the vast swaths of human population who at one time would have been all juiced up about the idea of a newer, better version of Windows, that just, it just it's not there anymore. I mean, people are well, still using Windows, but it is not the focal point of their technological lives on a daily basis as it once was. 
Yeah, well, with uh, mobile phones, tablets, you know, it's diminished the amount of time people spend in front of a PC for anything other than work purposes. And Linux and Mac OS have done such a good job of creating free updates that you get on a regular basis that it's not as big of a deal anymore. It's now that Windows and Microsoft is catching up to them, it's it's almost like, okay, fine, this is what I'm used to and expect from you, so I'm not going to freak out over it. And I think Microsoft is also being cautious by not promoting this too heavily because what if it flies in the face of you know what everybody wanted? They couldn't have another Windows 8 on their hands. I was really surprised. I guess the bottom line here is that I was very surprised at how well this upgrade process went. And, you know, I really suspect that it's ironic to think about it this way, but I'll bet you you get better stability out of an upgrade from 7 to 10 than you do from 8.1 to 10. And the reason I say that is because there's so many similarities. There's there like from an infrastructure standpoint, the whole metro thing and all of the technologies behind that, and these new things running in the background in Windows 8 uh, that are also there in 10, but are just different in certain ways. None of that stuff exists in Windows 7. So it seems to me that right. you've got a better chance of a clean upgrade going from 7 to 10. Because none of that stuff is there at all. So it's not like you're just modifying existing functionality. You're adding new functionality entirely. And so it just seems to me that from a probability standpoint, when you're just adding... It's like um, if I'm, well, like, I, I if I'm building a new car from scratch with pieces that I order out of a magazine, which you can do, I'm going to expect fewer problems from that car than a car that's already assembled and I'm just going through it replacing parts. That's the best analogy I can come up with. I was going to say, like, with with uh, spyware and viruses, it's much better to have a PC that's clean from the beginning that has all the protection in place rather than having to go back after the fact and clear it, even though you clear out all the virus and spyware and then you install tools to protect you the next time from it give me a clean PC that's never been infected any day because it's much easier to add something to a computer than it is to remove. And I, I, I hadn't really thought about it, but you're probably right. I've got a Windows tablet that has that went from 8.1 to 10, and then I've got several 7 to 10 PCs. I'll have to keep an eye on them and see if there's any stability difference between the two. Well, I was really impressed at how well it went. Um, I was impressed with how little time it took the upgrade i sat there and watched we well, know why right what well, let me ask you this did you did you get a prompt from them to install it or did you go download it no, i did download I, I, there and install I, it? I did the prompt okay so you had already downloaded it then so you had a cached version of it locally that's why it went so fast well i know there. what you're talking about because if you just if you go in and you say you haven't been prompted yet and you just go into windows update and you say check for updates and it finds the windows 10 update then yes you've got to sit there and you've got to wait for that whole process to complete or just the time it takes to download that i think it's like two and a half gigabytes i could be mistaken but i think that's pretty close to what it is i mean just the download itself takes exponentially longer than the installation uh, i i find that rather mm -hmm. surprising but 
Anyway, it went far better than I expected. The uh, stability I've gotten out of that machine since the upgrade has been far better than I expected. I like Windows 10 far more than I expected I would. And uh, the fact of the matter is, between se- from 7 to 8, there were a lot of speed enhancements introduced into Windows. Some of it was cheating because, for instance, they would essentially they would essentially take a snapshot of the state of the machine. Like when you shut down a Windows 8 machine, you're not really doing a true shutdown. It's There's a snapshot of the machine, and it's that snapshot is what's used. That's the best way I can describe it without spending 10 years talking about this uh, boring subject. But that snapshot is what is used to start the machine when you bring the machine back up. As opposed to every little DLL file, every driver, every this, every that, having to be reloaded and put back into memory. It all just sort of hangs out there and waits for you to start the machine again. It's already in place, which is great when you're talking about starting the machine up and it happening quickly. But from a stability standpoint, I think you do need a true proper restart from time to time. And I have always suspected that this... Uh, speed with which Windows 8 is capable of booting probably comes at the cost of stability. And that's why I always go into the power settings and disable that fast boot. I think they call it fast boot. There's a couple of there are yeah. a couple of check marks that you can uncheck and just do away with that. Because how often do you really restart? Is your life that consumed with waiting for a PC to restart? Just undo the speed boot or speed store whatever the hell they're calling it undo that and speed just speed boost was where you put a flash drive in and it yeah that's right that, that was terrible <laughs> you know i but, never employed that to any uh, level of success i had a client who used it and swore that it was that their computer was faster when they had this i think it was a two gig flash drive in i'm like oh no <laughs> there's no way your usb bus is giving you that much better performance for for memory storage but okay if it makes you happy and everything great. you do on a usb bus consumes cpu cycles which mm-hmm. is one of the inherent pitfalls of the usb bus and so it may be you and, and it wasn't even it was just the seek time that it was taking advantage of the seek time or right. the lack thereof in flash the, memory the prompts the prompts made you think that you were making like, like you're hitting the turbo button from older PCs. <laughs> you know, I never, I never understood that. I can remember being in computer classes in the late '90s in high school, and looking at the computer, and I'm seeing this turbo button, and I'm looking around, just wanting to have a conversation with anybody who would listen, with regard to the question of why is anyone undoing the turbo button is there anyone right. in this room who's going to reach up to their computer and push the turbo button to turn that off because by god it's just too fast i can't handle it i'm sitting here playing uh duke nukem and i just feel like i'm everything is too fluid for me i need to downgrade that experience a little bit was there any circumstance do you know what the logical reasoning was behind the existence of a turbo button i have never had that explained to me doesn't it or i I thought it ran the cpu at a faster clock speed well it does but i'm it does but i'm saying why would that exist why would anybody want to turn that off because you would only want that i remember on the the second pc that i ever built by myself was old enough to have a turbo button 
and it was so expensive. You didn't want to overclock that thing. If all you were doing was running a word processor, there's really no reason to max out CPU cycles. But if you're going to be doing something math intensive, which of course I never did as a kid on this PC, then you would want to have the turbo button on to, to maximize it. But then you're also affecting the, the life potentially of the, the CPU. So <laughs> I never turned it off. But either. that's a really lot. Never... That's a lot of reasoning that does not but make itself clear to someone. That's a lot of reasoning that does not make itself clear to someone staring at a turbo button. Well, yeah, but the thing is that if you built the PC or you supported a bunch of PCs that had it and you understood that there's a possibility that you're going to degrade the life of this computer and it's extremely expensive, then you probably rarely turned on the turbo button. But for the average person, they didn't care. It's like overclocking. It used to be extremely hard to overclock a CPU or a GPU, and now it's built into the BIOS and it's built into the the software that you can use on your NVIDIA video card. So it became mainstream and it's easy to do. But in the early days of very powerful slot and socket CPUs, overclocking was hard to do when it was something that was on the fringe. PC gamers would do it, but the average uh, computer person didn't do. Now almost every CPU has overclocking built into it. I kind of miss those days. Don't you miss going into a Barnes and Noble and seeing that the computer was running at like 500 megahertz and just like they, I can remember that they, there were at the local Barnes and Noble, there was a, there was a computer section and, they, I think they sold PCs, and they sold PC software. And I remember being in there and just seeing the uh, clock speed of the CPU on the front of the chassis like there. 66 megahertz? Oh, yeah, no, yeah, you're right. No, it was like, I, I swear, it was 90 megahertz. Right. And this was in the Windows 95 era. This was right about the time Windows 95 was coming out. I remember going into this Barnes & Noble and seeing 90 on that on the front oh, of that chassis that time, and just getting so excited. I worked at a Radio Shack <laughs> at that time selling uh the it was at the end of the Tandy when they were using IBMs at that point they were selling. I was an exclusive Mac user personally, but I sold Windows PCs through Radio Shack. And I'd have customers come in all excited because they were they wanted to use Windows ninety five and they'd say, So what's the best part of upgrading to windows 95 or i'm ready to buy a new pc or buy a pc for the first time you know why do i want this one i said well if, if you're asking me i would go buy mac because then every time you turn it on it's ready to work and my bosses would get mad at me for that but i was honest what a rabid homosexual you are i can't believe you were telling people that well you know you do what you do <laughs> i wanted to be honest well, I'm I'm very happy thus far with the Windows 10 upgrade. There are a couple annoyances. For instance, there are I have discovered a couple of instances where it launches you into a metro interface where I don't think it needs to although it does provide it seems workarounds to get out of that. Um the biggest one coming to mind is if you right click on the desktop and you click personalize. That's where you uh, go to the theme settings. You can change whatever your Windows theme is and a few other things as well. And instead of seeing what you expect to see, which is the classic control panel, you see a Metro interface. 
And just there's something about this stupid Metro interface that it just makes me feel like I am out of control. It makes me feel like I've lost control over what it is that I'm trying to do. It makes me feel like it, it gives me this sort of schizophrenic sense of just the, the disorganization and well, uh, inefficiency. Losing power through simplification. It's not simpler, though. I mean, as I'm sitting there well, looking at it, I'm thinking, where in the hell do I go? Where, where do I change the windows? And I'm sitting here staring at it and staring at it, and it is just not clicking with me how it is that I'm supposed to change the windows theme. And it seems to me, from a pure user interface design and development standpoint, if I, the regular user, am not able to just look at something and intuitively know how it is that I do what I want to do, you have failed. It's that simple. If, if I can't just look at it and know, then you have failed. I should not have to randomly hunt around until I find what it is I'm looking for. And the thing that is really puzzling is you right-click on the desktop, you go to personalize, you dumped into the stupid Metro interface. But if you close that, right-click on the start menu, click control panel, which starting with Windows 8, a lot of people don't even know that they can right-click that start menu and get a lot of stuff that they right. are missing, like access to the control panel, file system, uh, programs and features, device manager. There's a whole bunch of stuff you can get by just simply right-clicking that bottom left-hand corner start menu, quote-unquote start menu in Windows 8. And they carry that on to Windows 10. So instead of having to deal with that stupid Metro interface they dump you in when you go right-click the desktop and click personalize, you can instead just right-click that start menu, click control panel, go into the display settings from there, and then you'll be able to do what it is you wanted to do. Now, what was the advantage there? Why are you even allowing me to do that at all if, if you were going to try and stick me in the stupid Metro interface to do the same thing? Why is there an option even in place for me to go and do it the way I'm used to doing it. That doesn't make any sense to me. It seems like if they're going to make these changes, then just dive all the way in and do it, or not at all. Or I want. Here's what I really want. Here's what I want. I want. Tell me what you want. I want to be able to completely excise Metro from Windows 10 entirely. I don't want to see it at all in any circumstance. And what I'm wondering is, and I have not had time to look into this, is there a way to make that happen? Is there a registry setting? Is there just a simple UI setting? Are you aware of anything along these lines? I, I just do not ever want to see it. I have not seen that yet, uh, anything to do that. I'm sure there's going to be a tool like the ones that were set up for the start bar initially for Windows 8 and 8.1. I bet someone will come along, Stardock or some independent source that will create a way to excise all of those those tools what what bugs me with on the same line of what you're you're talking about is don't let familiar actions like right clicking and going to personalization everything about that is very windows xp to windows 7 like but then after i do a familiar action take me to the unfamiliar metro interface i'm okay with metro being in new things to a certain extent and again i think the problem with metro has always been that they tried to oversimplify and really broke some U UI uh, paradigms of you know, don't hide the settings for a user. Don't make it to where a person who walks up to 
this for the very first time can't intuitively find where options are. That's what Apple's done a good job with for years. Google with Android has finally gotten good at is making it intuitive to find how to customize this thing the way you want. Metro hit it all through these gestures and and behind the panes of you, know, you have to swipe down to the side, all of that. Everything was just way too hidden and oversimplified from my point of view uh, to the point of failure. But I, my, my biggest pet peeve, like I said, is not that Metro is there still. It's just comfortable, well-known actions that you have muscle memory for. That's right. That take you out of that action when there's a place available in the os like you said you just talked about going and right clicking on the start menu going to control panel you can get to the familiar personalization right. so why are so, we even monkeying with the other way of doing it if there's right. not so some take out pers- if there's not some immediately uh quantifiable advantage and there's not right the, the thing that bugs me too is so i still have multiple pcs that are running windows 7 and 8 and i have a few now that are upgraded to Windows 10 and I use a Microsoft account to log into everything and I want to be able to have each system personalized because I've got a small tablet view, a laptop view, a couple desktops with just one or two monitors and then my main PC that has four monitors on it. I want them each to have customized desktops and themes and when you log in with a Microsoft account so far in my limited searching for this I haven't found a way to say I want my main PC, my workstation, to have one personalized look. I want my tablet to have a different. I want my laptop to have its own and have my wallpapers, all of that. Unless you sign into a different Microsoft account on each device? Yeah. That's the only way to to make that happen? I haven't found how to do it, how to customize each of them yet, but there has to be a way to do it because my my guess is... Uh, Xbox, uh, I don't have an Xbox One, but for anyone who does have an Xbox One, they're going to bring Windows 10 to it at some point also. And I don't want my win- my Xbox that I'm hardly going to use, but my kids are going to use a lot. I don't want it to be personalized to match my desktop either. Uh, and that reminds me too, the first PC that I updated to Windows 10, and I, I forced the update rather than wait for them to prompt me, my son who loves Minecraft, plays it all the time, was all excited about seeing what uh, Minecraft Xbox, or sorry, <laughs> Minecraft Windows 10 edition looked like and what it could do. So that the morning, uh, Wednesday morning, he starts bugging me first thing before I even start uh, my, my work day. He says to me, you, you got to update this, this computer so I can use it. I, I got to try out uh, Windows 10 edition of Minecraft. I'm like, no, I'll do it on my lunch break. No big deal. And then I come in, do the update, and find out that now Minecraft, to, well, to, to run that edition of it, you have to jump through a bunch of hoops just to get it installed and activated. And then once you get it, it's such a stripped-down version of it, it's the equivalent of running it on your phone. It's not even a new update to the desktop Minecraft. So my son, who's all excited about it, gets his first uh, experience of Microsoft dejection. So you're and, telling uh, me Minecraft, they, Microsoft buys Mojang, or however the hell you pronounce mm-hmm. that, Yep. in order to own Minecraft, the single most popular app on all of Android. I don't know about iOS, but on oh, the Android there, side, yeah. it is. I'm not saying the most popular game. It is the most popular app, period, mm-hmm. on Android. So Microsoft buys this, and they have all of these new synergies that are supposed to exist now between... 
uh, Windows 10 on PC and mobile. And at the center of that, you would think would be Minecraft. And you're telling me... Oh, and it is. And you're telling me that the experience sucks. Really? Well, what they did was they brought the Windows Phone or Android uh, version of that same limited pocket edition. You see? That's what the new update was. So it was such a big disappointment. The funny thing is that uh, the week before, my kids went to what's called Apple Camp to learn how to use some some Apple tools like iMovie, GarageBand, all of that. And so they're really big right now into uh, Apple stuff finally. <laughs> I'm finally converting them. So my, my laptop was pretty much owned by them during that time. Uh, because when they when they get home, they'd want to use that rather than the the PC, just because they were learning about how to use these Apple products directly from Apple geniuses. And then my son has this experience with Microsoft, and he's just like he, he he's so annoyed because they kept promoting that Microsoft's first big edition of Minecraft, and it, it's going to coincide with the release of Windows 10, and it's really just the mobile version brought to the desktop. You can still run the desktop version separately, but they really promoted within people who are interested in Minecraft this new edition. And the after that, after I see that he explains to me this is the pocket edition on the desktop, I look at the start menu and I realize the start menu is Windows Phone. It has more level. Like I, my big complaint about Windows Phone is that it's only two levels deep. There's really no deeper level of integration to any, anything, but. You look at the interface for the start menu now with its tiles and its old uh, left-hand navigation, too, of apps and recent recently ran apps. That is Windows Phone right there on your desktop. So it's not a surprise, if you look at it from that point of view, that they would make Minecraft the Windows Phone edition on your desktop. Because my biggest complaint with Apple has been I don't want my desktop to become my phone. Microsoft is clearly all in on this. I Again, I like Windows 10. It is definitely an improvement from what Windows 8 was. But at the same time, their integration between the desktop and the mobile is actually kind of uncomfortable. So one of the big advantages for Windows 10 is supposed to be this platform integration where you can bring aspects. Well, you can run apps from the mobile experience Mm -hmm. on your PC. That is not going to work out if all this comes down to is oh, hey, guess what? You're going to get the same experience on your PC that you get on your mobile device. I mean, that is just not going to cut it when we're talking about people sitting in front of a keyboard, mouse, and monitor. They are not going to accept that as the level of user interface design. and It's just not going to work. That's not what people are expecting. They're expecting a desktop PC experience. So... If the big selling point, one of the big selling points of Windows 10 is, hey, we're going to tie these platforms together. We're going to bring the uh, mobile ecosystem onto the desktop, and that's just going to grow exponentially on top of itself because, well, that's just naturally what's going to happen. Well, it seems to me that it's not going to work out if this is the experience people are going to get. Yeah, well, I have to think that what happened with me where my my 8-year-old son is more excited about Windows 10's Windows 10 release than I am, that I'm not the only one out there that had this happening, that there were parents all over the the world whose kids were bugging them, upgrade, 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 upgrade. And to see that disappointment happen for them too, 
can't be good for that next generation. But uh, I mean, anyone who uses the PC for more than gaming would see that, hey, this is a stable, fast release. I don't really have any specific problems with it. I mean, I guess it was about eight months ago, maybe maybe a little bit longer. I, I sat in a meeting with the VP of development for Visual Studio for Microsoft. This is the guy who's in charge of building the tools that developers use. And he explained this whole universal uh, app plan and showed some demos of it. And if you remember, I was really excited about it. I thought it made lots of sense. It was going to make my life easier as a developer. And he showed a demo app they'd created of a CNN uh, metro interface, desktop interface, mobile phone for iOS, Android, in Windows Phone, they all had unique looks and unique features based on where it was installed at, but the code base behind it was the same. So as you ported it to these uh, these other tools, there are third-party apps that would take .NET code and convert it to what you needed for an Android or what you needed for iOS, and then, of course, the desktop and Windows Phone were already based upon the Windows OS and APIs. And that made complete sense because as a developer, then I could go build one app, build all the services and tools behind that that I needed, and then I could push it out to all these different platforms easily. But so far, from what I can tell, developers or Microsoft pushing developers have focused really on making phone applications and saying, oh, by the way, put it on the desktop too. Wow. And that will fail completely. Uh, I mean, I went and got my Microsoft developer license and I was like, I've got a couple different apps I'll build. I even thought about putting one out like right before the launch of Windows 10 just so I could have it there. Even if it's if, like I own the domain, whatdoip.com. It's kind of my joke for anyone who wants to uh, check what your IP address is, what your publicly available IP address. And I've got some services behind that that websites use that... They, they can connect my API, and if you have a web tool that you want to uh, get the publicly available IP address of your your users, if they're behind a, any kind of NAT, then you could use my my service then to query and find out what that public IP is. And my my biggest competitor, the biggest name in this, has a Metro app that does the same type of thing. So I thought, well, I'm going to release my own Windows 10 universal app that does all of this based on my my website service, but then I was like, well, what am I going to do on the desktop? There's really, I've already got the website that you can go to. There really is no need for a desktop app to tell you what your public IP address is. On a phone, it's kind of cool because it's just hard to get to unless you know what you're doing. But I think that's what most people run into. Like, they get the idea for an app, and you realize, I can make this as a mobile app, but there's really no reason for me to make a desktop version of it. So all of that universal thing that I was excited about isn't that big of a deal in, in reality. So how do you think this bodes for the future of this new universe that Microsoft envisions where the mobile world is tied together with the desktop world and that we see what they're imagining is that the momentum or the, uh, just the sheer numbers of people running a PC, running windows on a PC that when they get these two universes tied together, that that is going to save their mobile division. That's what they're envisioning, right? right? And, and yeah, based on yeah. everything you're saying about your son's experience, based on everything you're saying about what you found as you were in the process of looking to develop some Windows mobile apps uh, that would work across platforms, it, it sounds like it's already failed. 
I mean, it sounds like yeah, it so, has already failed, and Windows 10 is just a weekend. Yeah, so what's happening in the, the world of apps is moving more and more to the web to be web-based applications rather than installed applications. And Windows 10 and Windows 8 allowed you to install or to create JavaScript applications, so that's already turning web apps into your desktop. But no one that I have seen is uncomfortable running a web app. You know, open the browser of choice, run one, run whatever app it is you need. You don't have anything stored locally. Most people are okay with that. I mean, I, of course I have my issues with cloud services, but in general, most people are okay with that. That's the, that's the future. So building just basic apps that a person is going to use to play, those are going to go more and more to the web. So they don't really need to have this universal thing to it less and less of those are going to be built as desktop applications now when you get to really uh intensive applications like cad programs uh, music creation programs like or editing like audacity uh, any of the adobe tools photoshop after effects premiere those types of tools they're going to remain desktop tools just like they've always been nothing is going to change so Microsoft wants to push to where Adobe could create Photoshop using the same code base for mobile and desktop, but no one's going to use Photoshop on the de- on the phone anywhere near the way they use it on the desktop. So Adobe's going to build their desktop version and a mobile version that's very stripped down, separate from each other. So what they want isn't going to happen. What you're going to see is those those mobile apps, people are going to use those as web apps on their desktop instead. So, no, and... and Apple wants the same thing. They're trying to push that also with the idea of making the desktop more like mobile. It's like dumbing it down, but still letting these uh, professional tools that people make a living off of on the desktop, leaving those available, but getting the average user to get away from them. Look at the biggest pet peeve I had with uh, Lion, I think it was, when that came out for OS X, was that they put the iOS notifications on it. So now I have the same notifications level like I did on my phone. I'm thinking, I don't care about that. If I want to have a notification tool, there's already apps out there like Growl that I can use that would give me notifications. Or I can go look at my phone to see what my stock prices are or what the weather is going to be. I don't need this new widget on my desktop. And if you look at Windows 10, you have a notifications tab just like Windows Phone and just like Android had. I mean, it looks very similar to all of those. There's only a few ways that you could could style a notification tool. But now you have that on your desktop too. And that just annoys me that we dumbed down the desktop for the mobile uh, experience. And I'm, I'm okay with them being different. I like the idea that you make it more efficient when you build the tools. That doesn't mean you have to build all the tools to look alike. Do you really need notification on your desktop for, for things that are interesting when you're out on the road, like you're, you're at work or you're shopping and you get a notification for somebody uh, liked a post of yours on Facebook or somebody's following you on Twitter or your favorite sports team, you know, won, won the championship, that kind of stuff. Cool. Yeah. Let me know when I'm on the road and I'm not focused on consuming information right now, but you give me this quick hit of something. So now I know it, but I'm on the desktop. If I want to check sports scores, I know what websites I'm going to go to do that. Yeah, I'll just have a browser window open. Exactly. Well, that's and that's a thing. Everything that's an app right now on your phone, for the most part, has a web equivalent to. Like right before our show, when I was doing my show prep, I thought I'm going to put this on Periscope. 
and just let people see the sites that I go to and how I prepare for before an episode starts. And as I'm doing that, it's the first time I tried to actually broadcast on Periscope and I realize I can't feed audio into this so I can let people hear me talk through the mic and also feed music into it. I can only use the external mic on my device, or I guess internal mic. And it's only available from what I can tell on a mobile device. I can't go to a browser and use my webcam. And that was so annoying. because so I'm like, this would be cool for me to do uh, if I had this desktop app, but we're already being conditioned to realize that there's certain things I can do on mobile and this is the best place to go to do them. And if I'm going to do work or productivity type things, then I go to the desktop. And I've always said that like tablets, they're great consuming devices, but they're terrible production devices. And I think that the manufacturers of applications agree the same way. Like Periscope, you'd have a desktop version of it if they wanted it to be cross-platform. Instead, as it, as it is right now, you, it's a cool way to interact in the moment, but it's only a mobile app, and it's kind of annoying. So it's kind of the reverse of what I'm saying for desktop apps that I find it very frustrating. Well, that, what I would like to see happen is when I start up a new Windows installation, I would like it to ask me, are you an iOS user, are you an Android user, or are you a Windows Phone user? And I select wh which one I am, and that's the mobile experience that it uh, integrates into my Windows experience. That would be so awesome. I know that it's an impossibility from like a from an architectural standpoint, and there's just a number of things that would make that impossible. <laughs> I to like work. the idea of it. Wouldn't it be great though? Like yeah. you know, on Windows 10, I see the store icon down at the bottom of the screen. And if I'm an Android user and I had selected uh, Android as my preferred mobile platform uh, upon starting Windows 10 for the first time, that would take me to the Google Play Store. That would be so mm -hmm. great. And then from there, you could have the mobile experience on your uh, Windows device, on your Windows desktop machine. I think that well, would you know, be great. But the problem, this is just doomed to fail anyway because... This mobile experience they're trying to integrate into the desktop is one that people have already rejected. It has been rejected. Yeah. People do not want Windows Phone. They're not going to use Windows Phone. It's never going to be the case that we start start suddenly. Like, you remember that run-up in uh, late 2008, early 2009? There was just this whisper of, man, you better keep an eye on that Android. You know, you better... That Android, it's... Something's going on there, and... You just felt something there that this Android thing is going to be a force to be reckoned with. Give it a few years and we're all going to be looking at a war between it and iOS. You just knew that. There is never going to be a day when we feel that with Windows Phone. Even with the heft, the, the might, the force of the backing of the most popular desktop operating system in the world, Windows Phone still cannot succeed and it's not going to. You know, the funny thing with that is Microsoft, as the big beast they used to be that would consume their competitors and then put out applications based on, on what they did. You know, they, they bought everybody up rather than innovated anything. But if you had a good idea and you built an awesome app that people were really interested in for the desktop, the best thing that could happen to you was for Microsoft to buy you, give you lots of money, and then they would go and cannibalize what it was you did and make a lot more money off of it. And today, if you look at Microsoft, they don't have the power to do that to anything anymore, whether it's 
on gaming with Xbox, on, on phones, on the desktop, on tablets. They have the power to give you forward momentum and market you a bunch and maybe make some money off of you, but it's not their idea and they can't really afford for the most part to take the risk to buy you. Uh, Facebook would be a good example where Microsoft poured lots of money into Facebook to help them and then you know you would think ultimately they would buy it and you would have Facebook brought to you by Microsoft and it'd be a worse experience than it is now and I'm not a big fan of the Facebook experience as it is. So who knows, maybe Microsoft would have made it better by killing it. But it's not the same world it used to be where Microsoft has the power to make you the big thing. All they really have is the power to give you a little bit of momentum, a push, but it's not, you, you know, you're not going to be awesome because of that. Now it's, it's Google really is the one that's in place for it. If they, if Google gets behind whatever app service project you have, they can propel you to stardom in a way that Microsoft did 15 years ago. And it's really funny to see that. And and with Android uh, specifically, like you said, back in the day, it had the feeling it was going to be big. But now you're at that point to where if if Google promotes something that you did and puts it in their Play Store and promotes it as something awesome, you're in the reach of more handsets than any other uh, operating system out there, even though iOS is seems to be really popular in terms of people who use it are very vocal about it. There's still way more Android handsets out there than there are uh, iOS handsets. So if, if Google gets behind whatever idea you have, they have the power to make you a star. Let's say it's a social networking platform, whatever the next one is. If Google jumps behind that, not, not in terms of trying to build something like they did with Google plus, which uh, failed just like Metro apps failed, um, but they do have the power to partner with you and make you huge. And it's kind of funny how Google now is the Microsoft of, of this century, at least, or sorry, this decade, not century. Um, and, and speaking of this with your, I, I like the idea of being able to, from within your operating system, pick whatever mobile platform you are and personalize to it. But did you see the articles out there about Apple being accused of intercepting text messages? No from people who switched. Uh, and this is something that, uh, oh, you know what that article, or was it? It was, uh, I want to cite the right thing here. And there's about a 30-second delay between when we say something and when you, in the chat room listening live, when you actually hear it. But Rose uh, Gabrielle says, BlackBerry missed the boat big time at that point. And I think she's referring to my earlier comment about that period of late 2008 early 2009 where you just had that feeling that things were going to be crazy for android coming up and what's odd is she's entirely correct that blackberry missed the boat big time but the big question is what is it that happens in corporate environments that prevents them seeing what the rubes out here just bouncing about the fruited plant are able to see for themselves. But I mean, I knew that I had that feeling too. I just knew it. Android was going to be it. It was going to be the force to be reckoned with. I knew it. And I can't understand what it is that happens in a corporate enterprise, in a board of directors, in an R&D department, in a marketing department, just on down the line. There's so many places where it just has to fail for them to not catch on to what it was that was happening. I well, can't imagine just the number of things that had to fail all in sequ- sequence with one another. 
that goes back to the power of the company because if you, I'm guessing you played around with the early versions of Android and it was, it was bad. I mean, like it, it wasn't, it was very clunky. It was a very Java based. It was not, um, I mean, I know it's still Java based, but like it, it felt like someone just skinned Java, uh, apps for it. And, uh, it just wasn't that but good. we but we out here just the peasants had that feeling we knew well, something was coming with to. this android thing and they just couldn't wrap their minds around that I don't, and gabrielle says uh that it's hubris and well so i think that's right yeah so the thing is that that had google behind it which has the power to make something big where microsoft back in the day had that power and that they could push something to be huge but but they don't have it anymore. They, they they don't have that forward momentum like with Windows Phone. So Windows Phone looked terrible when, well, like, let, me, let me backtrack. Windows Mobile was a working platform and had been smartphones with Windows Mobile way before there was Android and way before there was iOS. For some reason, they decided to totally shuffle things up and do something different, probably as a reaction to what they saw coming down down the pike from their competitors or future competitors. So they decided, let's make Windows Phone. Microsoft doesn't have the power and the momentum anymore to force that to be a hit like they used to. Google, though, with their first version of Android, which was a clunker, did have the momentum to keep it going and make it popular. So they were able to keep that. That was my point earlier, is that Microsoft just doesn't have enough steam behind them anymore to push something. Because if they did, if it was 15 years before the way Microsoft was then back in the Bill Gates days, I guess is the easier way to say it. He would have made windows phone successful. It would have been adopted by corporate America. It would have been the de facto phone. And that's not because it's good. That's just because he had that kind of magnetic personality to the people who made those kind of decisions. People wanted Bill Gates to like them. So they, they picked his products. Well, they don't have that anymore. And or whatever it was that allowed them to do that. Android does have that, so they are able to push past you know those those early releases that weren't that good. So it's to the benefit of everybody that they did. I found my article from Business Insider. Uh, there was a uh, back in uh, 2014. There were uh, rumors of Apple uh, causing trouble with people who would switch from iOS to Android devices, and and I experienced this problem when I switched to where. All of my contacts that had iPhones and iCloud accounts, when I switched over to Samsung and Android, I couldn't text any of those people and they couldn't text me because they got stuck in a black hole of iCloud. And it took many, many months and going through a bunch of different trials. Different Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So if you opened up your text messaging app and you put mm-hmm. their phone number in the two box and you sent a message they were not going to receive that? No, they didn't. Yeah, most. So most what? What was it technically to, that was happening to prevent that? Okay, so I'll get to that in just a moment. So, so here I, I experienced this problem too. I talked with AT and T, everybody, uh, even talked with Apple, and they couldn't explain what was wrong. And they told me just delete the contact and create a new one, and that didn't work one hundred percent of the time. So, anyone that had had that didn't have their phone number attached to a iCloud account at some point. They were all fine. So I could like text you. You could text me fine. But my wife, I couldn't text her. I had to create a new contact for her. I did that uh, three times before I finally was able there to. There could be advantages to that, though. 
Well, I agree. It's, it, it, within the span of several months is what it took me to finally get it working. I wasn't, I, I wasn't working immediately on that, that specific part of the problem to the benefit of both of us probably. But, uh, so, so fast forward to today and Google and AT&T are now involved in this wire. They, they're calling it wiretapping because that's the allegation is that Apple was intercepting communications and technically the law would have to fall under wiretapping for them to get in trouble. But Google and AT&T are now going to basically testify against Apple that there was nothing technically wrong on their end to cause this problem. So what was happening allegedly is if you had an iCloud account and an iPhone and you switch all of those contacts that were through iCloud, the iCloud service intercepts those and routes them. And that's what keeps the messages secure and gives you that presence setting that you get with, if you have an iPhone, uh, which I think Google has tools that can do this too, but you can see whether someone's read your message or not. So wait a minute, wait, let me understand this. If I send a text message to an iPhone user who's using iCloud on their device, that text message does not go just directly through the cellular network from me to them. It goes... No, it does. Oh, it does. you don't have iCloud. Because for you, what happens is, since you, uh, on your end, you're sending a standard SMS message, then their phone doesn't have an iCloud account attached to your... They, they don't have an iCloud token to you. So your messages go through just like normal SMS. They're two separate uh, ways. So if, if, as it comes through, if it sees it as just a standard SMS, then iCloud stays out of the picture. But if the message has a, a iCloud token to it, it's managed by the server then. So when the phone sends the message out, it's sending it out to iCloud. iCloud sends it back to the other phone, and it what, can manage what, the I presence of that. I don't get it, though. If you're sending a message from a Samsung device... Why would there be any, be any iCloud anything attached to the message to tell the iCloud system on the other side to because, intercept the message? So I send the message out, then iCloud sees for the phone that it's coming to that there's a token attached to my phone number and that message, and it so then it grabs it and tries to intercept it to manage it. But the thing is that my message is just a standard SMS message. So it should not be getting picked up by iCloud in any way on that phone. So that, that's the problem. So I was sending regular SMS messages, but on the receiving phones and the sending phones that were Apple sending back to me because of their account, having me connected to an iCloud account, it captured both of our messages and held them in a black hole. It shouldn't be doing that. That shouldn't, it, it shouldn't happen. But it was. Well, I Apple think it, it was I, a bug. I think it should happen. That sounds like proper functionality to me. Oh yeah, the Apple can see everything that's happening. Yeah, to just you know switch. what? Yeah. I like the adventure of knowing that. Hey, my text message might not go through. You better call after you send that text, just to verify yeah. that it was received. I think that's the proper oh. way to text communicate. I agree. Well, it, it was crazy. I had a. A, a client that usually sends me text messages. It was several weeks of them getting progressively more annoyed at me that I hadn't responded to a question about a, a networking issue they had. And of course I had no idea they'd sent me a message. And uh, finally they called me and I'm like, I haven't seen anything from you. Sorry. And that's what first alerted me to the issue. And then I start trying to text with my wife and see, Oh, Hey, we can't send messages to each other either. 
You know, this, oh, so what about calls, voice calls? You may have already calls addressed that. That's totally different. Huh. Totally different service. But but the thing about this is, if you remember back uh, recently, the government has been pushing that they want to have the keys to encryption for things like iCloud because supposedly they can't crack iCloud encryption. And so terrorists could be using iCloud and iMessage to communicate and the government wouldn't know what's happening. So I just think that's an important part of this conversation to think about that supposedly Apple has a super secure system in iMessage. The government wants to be able to crack that encryption and track it. Well, look at what Apple was doing, whether it was an accident or malicious, people who had left their platform they were intercepting all of their communications and just dropping them in a, in a black hole. That doesn't mean they were reading them or tracking or anything, but they could have. You know, I, I think it's uh, conceivable that on their end they could have looked to see why did this person leave us and can we get any marketing information out of it? So I'm you sure said inside the metadata for a te- Go ahead. I I think uh, Mumble is starting to screw up on us. You said that. Google and AT&T are going to testify in court against Apple. What kind of court? Is it a criminal court, civil court? What is it? Uh, I think it's a criminal court because it's under, it's U.S. federal court uh, because it's uh, under wiretapping is what that's considered because they intercepted communications over the, the public airwaves. And so Google and AT&T have, are, are obviously wanting to prove that they had nothing to do with messages not going through. And also remember that all throughout the U.S., municipalities are putting out text 911 systems. I mean, I assume those have no no connection anywhere. It would be kind of dumb if those had any kind of iCloud connection. But what if somehow the number did accidentally get attached to an iCloud account, and now I can't do a a text message to 911 because it went to a black hole? There's all kinds of logistical uh, nightmares that could happen from text messages not getting to the recipient correctly. Hey, let's both go ahead and disconnect and reconnect to Mumble just really quickly. Okay. You do it on okay. your end, I'm going to do it on mine as well. Um, yeah, the irony is that last week or the last time we did a show, Curtis has two internet connections, one of which is an AT&T DSL connection, the other of which is a Comcast, I think it's Comcast, cable connection. And he's been having better luck over the Comcast connection doing this sort of thing than he's had using the AT&T connection, which makes absolutely no sense to me. I always, and it is known to be the case, not just in my brain, but among everybody, that if you want rock-solid stability, DSL is what you go with. And I, I just don't, I can't for the life of me understand that. But tonight, you're using your Comcast connection for this. I'm on Comcast, right? yeah. So we were dropping packets then? I guess so. I mean, we had about a at least a couple second delay. It, it was Man, just slowly over time, growing and yeah, growing. Yeah, what's interesting, you're, you're talking about my Comcast and AT&T and how weird it is. It seems like I have a faster ping time now on Comcast. They just upgraded me from 50 megabits to 75 megabits on my Comcast connection, which shouldn't have anything to do with my ping time, but it does seem to be faster. AT&T, I do have a very solid connection, but a very slow ping time now versus where it was faster when I first had it installed. Maybe I, maybe my, uh, Uverse router is due for a restart. That could be part of the problem. I don't know. Well, but it doesn't make sense that that would be slower. 
In continuation of our celebratory Windows 10 edition of the spec sheet that we're bringing to you tonight, I would like to say that prior to the show today, one of the big questions people have is, hey, I want to do a clean install of Windows 10. Is it possible? Mm -hmm. And I'm here to say, yes, it is possible, but it's a little bit convoluted because what you've got to do, you can't... Here's what I don't understand, and this... I don't think you can do this, but it seems like you should be able to do this. Since Windows 10 is a free upgrade for Windows 7 and Windows 8 users, it seems to me that when installing Windows 10, because you've got the Windows 10 updater or upgrade utility, and when you run it, what it does is it gives you the option of just doing an in-place upgrade right there, or it allows you to actually generate and download an ISO so that you can burn a DVD or you can dump the files onto a USB drive and boot from that to do the installation. And uh, what I don't get is if you can take that ISO, burn it, boot from it, proceed to uh, do the Windows 10 reinstallation, clean installation, and enter your Windows 7 or Windows 8 product key when it prompts you to do so. I don't know if that works or not, and I'm under, the, I'm under the impression that it does not work. What you have to do is you have to first – I hear like a helicopter. There's a motorcycle just drove by. Oh, my God. Those guys are so annoying. Those if you're one of those motorcycle guys out riding around with your mufflers just shattering panes of glass as you go down the street, it just – as each house you go past, subsequently, push, 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 <laughs> you just hear it as you're driving down the road, and you just have your stupid smile on your face as you ponder how large your penis must be because your motorcycle is so loud. I really wish you would crash into a bridge abutment. I There's nothing I find more annoying than big, loud motorcycle dummies. That's what I call you. And especially like when you're at a stoplight, and they're stopped there, and... As you're waiting for the light to turn green, they just keep going. Is that necessary? Can you please explain to me what the purpose is, either mechanical or in terms of how you're driving the vehicle or from a safety standpoint or from any standpoint, how it is that you need to sit at a stoplight and go. It's because you the motorcycle dummy, are sitting there at the stoplight thinking that the motorists surrounding you also waiting for the stoplight are looking at you and thinking you're cool. Nobody thinks you're cool. Nobody thinks you're hip. You're usually old, you're usually fat, and you usually have a really boring job that you do during the week and you're only out on the weekends pretending you're some sort of a hell's angel or something. Uh, just... Really, I mean, find the nearest bridge abutment. Uh, hopefully it's got some heavily reinforced concrete that you can just full speed ahead crash right into. Ugh, I find nothing in this world to be more annoying than big, dumb motorcycle guys. Just stop it. I can understand as you're driving down the road, one of the worst things about a motorcycle is the fact that nobody can see you. 
because your vehicle's so ridiculously small. And 99 times out of 100, when somebody plows into a motorcyclist, the first thing they say to the cop as uh, the crew is over there scraping his his carcass off the concrete with a flat-edged shovel is, I didn't see him! So that's why when you're on a motorcycle, you want it to be loud and stupid. So I understand from a safety standpoint why a motorcycle is loud but when you're sitting at a, a stoplight you don't need me to see you nobody needs to see you so just go wow look at how he flips his wrist honey and makes his motor do that he must really have just the absolute largest set of genitals in this zip code maybe this area code are we talking the postal system or the phone system i don't know which has the largest geographical area phone system yes this zip code he must have the largest conceivable set of genitalia uh, known to man i just i don't even know why i'm going to it's got nothing to do with tech but just i i'm, I'm sure you live in a nice quaint little residential neighborhood curtis and the idea that some douche at 9 p.m it's now been what almost 10 minutes i've been sitting here <laughs> barking about this at 9 p.m is driving down the road in a residential neighborhood with something loud enough for you to be able to hear that i would like to see internment camps set up for people who have big loud stupid motorcycles i would just like to see well, them pulled over Put into the back of a car and driven away, and we just don't hear from them again. And in 50 years, people write books about uh, what a horrible atrocity it was. What's your opinion on scooters? I love them and the people who own them. I'm Michael right, Van Dieven. I used to I used to drive around on a scooter from time to time. I thought it was a nice way to transport oneself. Although the 35, the 35 mile per hour limitation is a bit much to deal with. But isn't the stigma to scooter right drivers are that they just lost their license because of the drunk driving accident they i don't think you can no nah, i think you have to have a valid license to drive a scooter I, I don't at know. least in missouri you do yeah well in, indiana is kind of backward so who knows well, maybe we don't or well it's enforced. anyway we, were talk- we do now have the rule in indiana that you, if you're in the left lane driving down the interstate and you're not going well okay so have we talked about this? Yeah, you said if about, you're not passing in the left lane, they will ticket you. Yeah, and the ticket is more expensive than speeding in the left lane. So they're actually encouraging you to speed in the left lane. Well, uh, I don't know, man. After years of highway driving, driving uh, over the road in a semi all over the lower 48 contiguous states and seeing dummies who have no idea how that left lane is used, I really would like to see some system in place to criminally penalize those people because I think they are among the lowest form of human life. Uh, I really have to say. I think that they are those people and people who follow too closely. I would like to see ticketed at a much higher rate than currently is the case. I'm with you on the following too closely. Uh, Gabrielle in the chat, she, she's just... Uh getting all kinds of shout outs tonight uh what's your opinion on golf carts why would why would i inherently have a problem with why would the question even exist does he well he hates big well, stupid you know, bald, golf carts count big stupid bald uh, oh you're talking about like uh in place of an automobile if you've had a dui 
<laughs> yeah, I think that's what the. I like, don't understand the question. To, I guess is the problem. I'm I I took it as uh, me asking about uh, mopeds, scooters. <laughs> if she's asking if uh, golf carts. Just I, think I in fifty know, years, what, what automobiles are you comfortable with, and which one are you not? In terms of ownership and the way they use them, I I'm, am. I'm, I am entirely comfortable with people owning whatever automobile they want to own, so long as it doesn't shatter glass as they're driving down the road as a result of okay, the shock so gonna, waves that are emanating from the glass packs on the back of it. I'm going to throw out a car type, and you just tell me the first thing you think of. Okay. El Camino. Mullet. Ford F-150. Railroad Ties. Pontiac Fiero. I'm not familiar with that one. Oh, wait, that's the uh, one that kind of had, it had the motor in the back, didn't it? Yes. Okay. Made out of a composite. Uh, yeah, oh my. Um, two Life Crew. <laughs> nice. Uh, okay. Uh, Cadillac Seville. Goodfellas. Okay, I like this. We should keep that segment up. E- each week we'll have to come up with an- another uh, range of, of vehicles. And now, word association with Michael. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's get Let's down do to tech. the deeply <laughs> seated issues that have resulted in his problems with big, dumb motorcycle idiots. They, they're <laughs> all the same. They're just like the uncoolest guys in the world. And because of a mechanical device that they paid money for and they're sitting on top of, it's a mechanical device that you poured gasoline into. And now there's a chemical reaction happening inside there where this fuel is combusting, and it's doing it in a really loud way, and that makes you cool somehow? I can go buy one of those if I save my shekels. What about cool vintage uh, bikes, though? Like older Mm, ones? I don't care. No. Okay. Just stop it. Vintage bikes. No. No. Not impressed. Because I know the the type of jerk that's going to be sitting on that thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't ride bikes at all, but but my dad is big into it. So I used to I, have. A, I've learned from him, but I, I used to work for a company that made automotive lifts, so and motorcycle lifts. So I, I know from that, but but I don't go out and ride one. Uh, although I think they're cool. But see, that's where you're wrong, Curtis. They are not cool. I used to have a Lafon no, LF. I totally agree with the guy that rides with a really loud bike. I have no interest in that, but but I respect the. Uh, the bike itself, I guess. Why? It's just a they're, they're, machine cool. with two wheels. Why do you respect it more than you respect a Huffy that somebody's pedaling? I respect a Huffy, too, man. I, I love bicycles. That's I, just my, my bike. Vote Quimby says, I think we all hate the weekend warrior wannabe old white guys. That's really what they are. It's just guys yeah, who... See, it's, it's just inadequate men who have a chip on their shoulder half the time it seems they're just the worst part of it is is the phoniness like if you really were capable of just burning down a neighborhood and raping all the women then i might have some respect for you but i know looking at you as a weekend harley davidson dude in the year 2015 that you're not doing any of that stuff if there was some chance my family could be harmed as we pull up next to you at a stoplight I might have some respect for that. Well, depending on that. the city you live in. Have you been to Sturgis before? <laughs> no. I used to date a girl whose dad was a big motor, big motorcycle douche. 
And that's how I became introduced to the culture. And they are all just inadequate little assholes. I can remember her her dad's because <clears throat> she was pretty hot. And I can and I'm sure all of her dad's motorcycle and 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 underage as I was I was like 16 at the time and she was comparably aged. But I'm sure all of her dad's creepy loser motorcycle friends all wanted to have sex with her. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And so they all hated me because they were jealous of the fact that I was going out with her. So every time I would go over to their house uh, in order to see her or be with her or whatever, I had to sit there and put up with the ridicule of these bald, fat, loser, illiterate, uh, unemployed room temperature IQ'd extra chromosome Man. idiots every time I went over there and I think that that's where a lot of my resentment uh, is seated is right there and that now that I sit here and I'm self-analyzing I'm looking back on my own past I, uh, I'm having a moment of introspection here I this is good I think that's where this comes from actually so if I should ever come to power and the uh, biker holocaust should ever occur as a result of the power that I have acquired, you will know that it all stemmed from these moments when I was 16. I so, I, I feel like as Hitler was denied entry into art schools, thus six million Jews died, I was razzed when I was going over to pick up my girlfriend. And uh, that's why the biker holocaust had to happen. So This may be a first that you actually went straight to Hitler in the argument for yourself rather than somebody pull that out on you. Gabrielle says, MP, that is disgusting. I'm sure that's probably about my comment that these guys probably all wanted to have sex with her. Believe me, these guys wanted to have sex with her because I didn't know any of them. I, I, I hadn't, they didn't know anything about me. I didn't know anything about them. But from the moment, I remember one of them commenting about he didn't think I had the appropriate, uh, appropriate amount of facial hair for my age. Man, when I was 16, I had a full beard, man. Yeah. Well, I've also read a book. Have you ever done that? See, <laughs> I have, I've had experiences that perhaps man. you have not absorbed. I have done things. Uh, I've cleaned. Have you ever put your underwear in the washing machine? Well, I have done that. I have washed my underwear. That's another experience I've had that perhaps you can't count among your uh, list of experiential uh, inventory. It's just... Well, we've opened up a special line just for for bike riders. That is 573-837-4948. Michael would love to take your calls right now. Go. I don't think that there are any of these people in the chat room. I, I, I really believe I have such a high impression of our audience. I really don't believe any of these guys are a part a part of our audience i just don't believe it anyway this is a show about tech and we've just i let's think talk that, about carburation <laughs> yeah let's talk about the technology be, behind modern modern carburetors which by the way my dad and i were in the process of rebuilding a 1968 firebird that i I'd bought love for you to say like harley or yamaha oh no we're, we're, this is something worthy of our time um, a 68 Firebird, and it's a car that I bought when I was 16, and I just never had the money to do anything with, and so now we... Is that the one that had the wrap Firebird logo on it that went up over the 
the hut. Or I have from no the idea. What, the, I've, I've, it, it does not have like that. Deep. I have no idea what you're talking about, though. Okay, fine. So anyway, yeah, we are rebuilding that. And it is amazing to consider today's technology versus that of 1968 and how it is you're going to choose, pick and choose what to use when re- – because we are going to replace everything. We're replacing seats. We're replacing all of the interior. We are rebuilding the motor. That's actually a cool car. I'm looking at it right oh, now. Oh, it's an, a, a beautiful – it's just – it is a it is a work of art. It is entirely worth all the headache we're going to go through with this thing. But it really is amazing – looking at the technological advancements from 1968 versus today and the things that you can do when you're rebuilding a classic car. The, the, the question becomes, do you want to take the car so far away from stock that nothing is factory any longer? But I think you do. I mean, if you can, if you can put a really good fuel injection system in there and get rid of that stupid carburetor that's the thing to do sorry the numbers don't match i don't care i would like to i would like the car to get at least six miles per gallon if that's possible so yes <laughs> we're, we might just go ahead and use some modern electronics in the fuel injection uh in the fuel ignition system if that's okay we have a caller by the way let's go ahead and take this higher on the air hello biker line go hi is this yeah is this the uh, spec sheet with uh, michael and curtis well, I prefer to think of it as the spec sheet with Curtis and Michael, but oh shoot, that, I'm so sorry. That'll, I think you I got it right the first time. That way. That'll do, though. Well, thank you very well. Thank you very much. I'm calling from uh, Southern Oregon and just wanted to let you know I'm listening and I'm a great fan of uh, the spec sheet and the Gabcast, of course. And I have listened to the Fret Piles on occasion. Uh, I just wanted to call well, and say the thank real you so much for your diamond. your your uh, your tech broadcast. I really enjoy it, and uh, but just wanted to chime in and say thank you so much. But there's no but. Can you hear me okay? I do, but I I just there's no but. I thought that there was a but coming. Oh no no no! Well, okay. I'll, my name is Bustin Beaver. If that helps. <laughs> okay. Well. You're very kind, and I thought for sure that you were pranking us, so there had to be a but. You were going to say, I love the show, it's been a great part of my life, but your mother is an insufferable whore. So if you could please stop broadcasting. Well, no, unfortunately my mother has passed. No, my mother, I'm I- saying I thought you were going to say that about my mother. <laughs> oh, no. He was waiting for the other shoe to fall yes, about us, not that's you. what I thought was going to happen. I thought there's no way this guy really likes us. I'm just in that mood. No, I, I feel very unloved this evening. No, I want you to know that um, I, I go to UFO ship all the time and listen to the uh, continual running of uh, of the broadcast. So it's just been uh, a great thing, and I just want so much to say thank you. Th- well, thank you for the call. That's very nice. Yeah, thank you. Do you ever listen to You're those? Welcome. Do you ever listen to those old uh, Michael Van Dieven's radio train wreck shows? Oh, absolutely! All the way back with Tim. <laughs> those things are like. Uh, Six years old now. They're beautiful. Are they? I mean, have yeah. they, I have not listened to any of them. Have they held up with time? Oh hell yes! They're just. Uh, I just. I go to sleep listening to those. Oh my god! You is, are uh, just a sick individual. I don't know what. Well, this, this is true. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> well, anyways, I, I, I just wanted to make sure that you knew that people are listening, and uh, I, I don't even think I haven't called uh, but one radio station in my whole life, and. Wow. And you're it's quite director, an honor. So thank you so much. Well, thank you, sir. Yes, keep up the good work, you guys. Thank you. Appreciate it. Goodbye. Not, I thought 
He's. I'm just waiting. Is he? Go, he's going to tell us to f ourselves and wait? No, he just didn't do it. I was really <laughs> surprised it never came. You set I, that call up, didn't you? That was my mom using a voice changer. Thanks, mom. Love you. You make the best. Uh, you make the best stuffing. It's uh, exquisite. Uh, if you want to be on the show, the By number the to call five seven three eight three seven forty nine forty eight. It is five seven three eight three seven forty nine forty eight. I want to get back to this Windows ten clean install, but before I do, what is it you'd like to say? Uh, I don't know if you saw me in the chat say, but I could hear myself, so I kept stopping when you picked up that caller. So I yeah, I really don't know what that is. I have been told by others that when a when Onan and um, Jasmunda, when we did a Gabcast a while back, they said that when we brought in a call, they were able to hear themselves if they spoke to the caller. Right. And I don't That's understand. That's exactly what happened to me. Yeah, I don't understand why that is. I'm looking at the settings here. Everything looks, I don't know. Uh, now that I know that. I'll have to deal it's with It's fine. That. But at first, like, I started to talk, and then I thought I was cutting someone off, and I realized, no, that's me. Well, I, and I also noticed that our levels were a little higher, both yours and mine, while the caller was on. We were clipping a couple of times there, too. So is it feeding back in? I think I think it is. I think for whatever reason, the... Uh, I think for whatever reason, the sound card is feeding the audio back into... Okay, I think I just fixed that. So All right, we need someone else to call Yeah, then. if somebody could call in, I would appreciate that because I think I just fixed that issue. I hope I did. So 573-837-4948. It's 573-837-4948. So if you want to do a clean install of Windows 10, I would like to know, and if somebody out there could experiment with this i will try to experiment with it myself in the coming days and hopefully yeah i'll do it on one of my vms well i've got the vm where i've got the tech preview i need to remove that so i'll do one on it also well what i want people to experiment with is when doing a clean install of windows 10 using the disk that you generate the iso that you download and then can burn or uh, you can dump the files onto it you don't even have to make the usb by the way going back to vista vista forward if you have an ISO file and you just simply mount that ISO file so that you can have access to the file system on the on the disk image and you just copy and paste those files onto the root of a USB flash drive, that flash drive is now bootable. You do not have to do anything to make that drive bootable. Really? I didn't realize that. I thought you had to have a boot. No. So just, just, just download the Windows 10 ISO, mount the ISO, Open up the file system, copy and paste those files onto a USB flash drive, boot from that drive, proceed about the clean Windows 10 installation, and when you get to the screen that asks you for a product key, I want to know, can you at that point enter your Windows 7 product key off of the side of your box if you're using an OEM installation of uh, well, pretty much anything, unless you're using a retail. Retail OEM, it wouldn't matter. You're, you should be able to do that, I would think. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that you can, because what I had to do today was I had to, on a Windows 7 machine, I had to do the upgrade to Windows 10. After it was completed, I had to run the Jelly Bean Key Finder and extract the product key from the system. Then I went back and booted from the media that I downloaded with the Media Creator Utility. And that product key is then what I entered when it asked. The the product key that I extracted using the 
magic jelly bean key finder. So I would really like to know if the process of going through that whole upgrade just to generate a new Windows 10 product key for you to extract from the uh, system, I would like to know if that can just be bypassed altogether and you can just go straight to the uh, Windows 10 install and use your existing Windows 7 product key. I feel like it ought to be smart enough to handle that. It ought to know that this is a Windows 7 product key. This is a Windows 8 product. Well, you, w- you wouldn't even have a Windows 8 product key unless you use the Windows, uh, the uh, Magic Jelly Bean Key Finder. That really was a big pain in the butt in a lot of ways. The fact that a Windows 8 machine has no product key on the exterior of the machine. So what happens oh, is yeah. when you go to do a reinstall, it actually just looks at the BIOS and sucks the product key or out of the UEFI. It sucks it out of that um, instead of you typing in an actual product key. So when you do the reinstall on a Windows 8 machine, you'll never be asked for a product key. That, that That's with caveats, though. Uh, you have to be using the correct Windows 8 OEM disk. It took me a long while before I got my whole system down for doing clean installs on Windows 8 machines in my office here. There, there are so many ins and outs to it. What disk will work on what type of machine? What disk won't work on another machine? You know, if you buy, uh, let's say, if you buy an Acer Micro Tower that comes with Windows 8.1 with Bing, if you just go and try and use an OEM Windows 8 disk and do a clean install on that machine, it'll ask you for the product key every time because yeah, you are not... Yeah, it's the code. You are not installing the same SKU. It is right. Windows 8.1 with Bing, so you actually need to have a window That threw me for so long. I, I that caused me more problems than I can even begin to tell you until I figured out that Windows 8.1 with Bing is actually its own separate SKU and requires an entirely separate image in order to install. What a pain in the butt. Well, but, because the the SLIC for that is specifically dedicated to the fact that this has been given free to the manufacturer. What what, what is SLIC? I I'm drawing a blank. That, that's uh so there there's different uh numbers there's that back in the day it was slic was the original then point point five and thinking then 1.0 then oh you're talking about the revision of the bios that it looks at to see that's where it gets that oem as so like okay yes and when you come out with a new product whatever version of windows is out currently that you're going to embed your your key information into or you're going to embed the code that says yes it's okay to install this that's what that code is and What's frustrating, like, again, using Dell is my specific example, but HP, you know, you, you can insert any uh, manufacturer, that they release a system well before Microsoft has decided what they're going to do for the next one. If Microsoft changes uh, the configuration of what they're going to do now for new protection and your board doesn't have it, if they don't come out with a firmware update, you might not be able to do the fresh install of your free. Back in the day, it was Vista to Windows 7. That, they, that I had a problem with this. I had some systems that weren't updated, but they were promised to get the free update to Windows 7. And uh, it was all because of that key number. It took forever for the manufacturers to finally release a BIOS update that would allow that. But if you match up your your BIOS with the different uh, codes for whether it's an OEM key or 
I guess it's really only M keys. Retail keys don't do this. But anyway, if you match that up and you know which one's right, then you're safe to install you know the ISO you download from Microsoft. On the opposite on end of system. that, on the opposite end of that, I had machines where the SLIC it was a Vista machine, but the SLIC revision was far enough advanced that if you took a legitimate OEM copy of seven and mm-hmm. put it in the drive, it would install properly. Yeah. Uh, well, sometimes they didn't update. So like between uh, Windows oh, 2000 and XP, they didn't update that system. So pretty much any system that was Windows 2000 certified could run Windows XP if it was OEM in a an OEM system, then you could practically install the the OEM CD. It's just most most people who bought their PCs didn't have access to a Windows XP OEM disk to install, or they didn't realize they could. So the protection was in the lack of information. You know, I'm still sitting here feeling nice about that random caller who just called in to say he likes the show. That's nice. That was nice, wasn't it? Well, you know, you just do these episodes. But don't episodes. let it get to your head, man. Well, you got to keep fighting. Keep I efforting. am going to stop returning any messages sent to me. I am going to start banning anybody uh, who has not been a member of Belgab for at least six years. I think that's the... Uh... Oh, I'm good then. Are you? Yep. 2009. Really? You go back that yeah. far? Wow. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a <laughs> UFO ship member first i was a part of that were you a part of the and, old uh, ufo ship that had yeah like if you scrolled down it said art bell is god at the bottom of the page was you... <laughs> i don't remember that but probably <laughs> I, I mean that's i i once i learned who art was i didn't really become a big fan of him and it was that site really that made me become a big fan of him so if you hadn't had ufo ship then i wouldn't have stumbled upon your podcast and called in and be here today working with you yeah, so, that, that I've got an archived version of that old UFO ship. It was basically just like a blog, but yeah, it involved our bell on piracy it. on the side. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, at first it was the shout box was how everybody communicated. Yep, that's and right. That's my first post on it was I had looked through your uh, things that you hated, and I, I had to comment on it because I'm like, after reading this, I don't know if I should love you or be scared of you, but I'm going to go ahead and go with the love. I mean that in well, I'm a little, I'm, a little I'm tearing way. up a little bit. I uh it's very sentimental for me. Have you ever in any time in the last couple of years gone back and listened to the episode of of Trainwreck with you and Evelyn that I called in on? Man, I can't go back and listen to any of that stuff. It's not Evelyn or anything of the sort. I just I can't I really can't stand the sound of my own voice. And to go back and, and listen to a recording of me doing a show. It is insufferable. And this, I'm sure that I would hear myself saying a lot of stupid things that I would, with seven, eight years of retrospect, look upon with just complete and utter <laughs> contempt. Um, I know, there's no way I could listen to that. Uh, just to, to reminisce for a, a moment more, that first episode that I heard of Trainwreck, that you guys were talking and I called in on, I was painting my son's room. He would, he was just born. So that would have been, wow. well, I guess he was a year old, wow. he was, but just around a year old. And I was, Unreal. I was painting his room blue. I remember it so well. And as you guys were talking, you said something and 
I thought, I don't really know for sure who these people are, but I got to call <laughs> and talk. And I actually walked out into my garage just on the other side of where I'm, I'm sitting right now. And that's when I had that conversation with you. Yeah, I, I think I remember the first time you called in and we were chatting politics. I think it, well, it was about I miss doing that show. It, it, I miss doing that show because it was fun to be able should... to just sit down and talk about whatever, whatever's in the news, what it, what it was that happened to you yesterday at the store, like the stuff that a lot of the things that we talked about, like me sitting here complaining about motorcycle guys. The whole time I'm doing that, I'm thinking, okay, this is a podcast about tech. I should be talking about tech. I'm wasting time. I'm wasting time. I'm wasting time. That's what I'm thinking the whole time I'm sitting there yammering on about how much I can't stand these stupid motorcycle idiots. And I miss being able to just sit and talk about whatever. That was a lot of That's fun. That's how I became a fan of you was those shows, man. A fan of me. <laughs> I'm a fan of you. <laughs> That's uncomfortable. I don't know. As much as we deal with well, one man, another behind the scenes. Know. Well, no, but I mean, like, we know each other now, and we deal with each other mutually behind the scenes. We call one another. We, you know, we talk on Skype. I, I inquire, Curtis, uh, you know, are you getting the proper amount of fiber? Are you, are you, are you getting your vitamin D? We, I am concerned. So we talk, and I just feel a little uncomfortable hearing that you're a fan I mean, you shouldn't be at this point. You should well, the, the wall should into the you, you should entirely have seen behind the curtain at this point, and okay, in well, no way feel like you're a fan any longer. I, I'm sure anyone who is a Belgab member and has talked to you and <laughs> cat smile. I got to stop looking over at random moments, and, and, and when the episode's over, I will do exactly what you said there, cat smile. But I prefer to have it be a one-on-one experience. But anyone who uh, is a Belgab member or has interacted with you already knows you're the same guy outside of the podcast when you're having just a regular conversation. Of course, you and I've never met in person, anything like that, but communicating when you do ask me about my fiber intake and I, and I tell you, well, you know, this week wasn't as good as last week was, uh, you, you do that in the exact same way that you do, whether we are on air or not. And that's pretty cool because I know that I'm not the same person. I mean, I, I know that I'm, that I self-modify and it's just because I, I'm, I'm a weaker personality and uh, it's pretty cool that, that you do that. So I'm still a fan of the fact that you can do something that I can't do. You're so good at it. I'll I like you. I like you. Person. I like you better off the air. I don't like the on-air Curtis. I believe it because I, I'm far less exciting, aren't I? I can't really quantify what I, I just don't like it. I, I don't like the on-air Curtis. I'm Michael Van Dieven. <laughs> So anyway, Windows 10, if you want to do the upgrade, you can do the upgrade and then extract the resulting product key and then do the clean install with the media you downloaded. Use the product key you extracted. You're going to have a perfect, beautiful, clean installation of Windows 10. I just successfully did that on a machine this afternoon on a six-year-old Dell. Isn't that amazing? A six-year-old Dell. And here I, I'm, I'm – this machine yeah. was produced – Right at the beginning of the Windows 7 era. So that's just amazing to me that this machine has been future-proofed going really into the foreseeable future as long as it holds out from a hardware perspective. Uh, this machine is future-proof now as a PC, as a Windows PC, as a participant in the Microsoft ecosystem. It's future-proofed. 
I mean, that well, it's, its lease on life has been extended remarkably. Yeah, according to Microsoft, this is the last version of Windows you'll ever install. It'll all be updates from this point forward. Did you notice that? Did you notice that if you go into the control panel, there's no Windows Update option? No, I didn't. Yeah, there's no <laughs> Windows Update option. So I, they're 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 totally going for it then. I do like the way they have you know like on an Android device and iOS probably has something similar. Like on an Android device, you've got the uh, I don't know what they call it, but it's the button you push that shows you screenshots of all the apps you've got open, and you can swipe them to the side in order to cl- kill that process. And um, Windows 10 has something similar. You Down in the taskbar, there's a little button. You click it, and it shows you a sh- shows you a little screenshot of every application that you have running. And just to test it, I just went ahead and opened up like 10 random applications. And just let the them all run. View is the button. Yeah, I think I that's what you would call it. I wanted it. to see what it was. Yeah. I, I bumped it, but I haven't used it. Yeah, and you'll see a screenshot of all the applications that you currently have open with an X to close any one of them. There may be another gesture you could do in order to close them rather than click the X. There probably is. But also, if you move the mouse pointer over to the right-hand side of the screen, you will see that you have available to you multiple desktops as Linux has had natively for ever, at least certain distros of Linux have had forever, multiple desktops. It's amazing you know that took it took this. until 2015 for Microsoft to implement that. You, you know that uh, this all came from Logitech. They created that first. Multiple desktops? Windows. I mean, you're... No, no. I'm, I mean, the as I clicked that, I realized that that looks exactly like the old Logitech Windows manager that they had. And no, Linux was way ahead of time, <laughs> way ahead of Windows when it came to multiple desktops. But I never used them because I, f- I always felt like if the user interface on the desktop is good enough, if your ability mm-hmm. to go from one application to the other is good enough, you just don't need that. Particularly if you're dealing with multiple monitors, then you just definitely don't need multiple desktops. I don't think. As a matter of fact, I think multiple desktops could be a hindrance in certain circumstances because... What it is you're trying to get to isn't right there up front in your face for you to see, and you might forget, okay, what desktop is it on, damn it? And then you start just plowing through all the various desktops you've got. And it, Here's a caller, by the way. Uh, this is Neuropathy, and at least according to his Skype image and the microwave in the background that I see, it's Neuropathy, and I'm hoping that we will find the audio feedback issue has been resolved. So, Curtis, you try talking to him. Hi, Neuropathy. Hey, MV. How you doing, uh, buddy? You always sound so good when you call <laughs> in. I mean, like, your voice is so clear. It's like you're in the same room as me, and the audio issue's gone. Is it really? Yeah. That's that simple. Okay. <laughs> Neuropathy, what's up, buddy? How you doing? Problem. Uh, three things, and I'll make them quick. All right. My tablet just updated from uh, KitKat to a Lollipop this week. Mm-hmm. On its own. What kind of tablet you got? uh, It's the Tegra Note 7. We've talked about this before. And uh, Mm -hmm. I was... In what context did we talk about it? Well, just that I have one and you don't. Oh, and I am jealous. (laughs) Well, (laughs) Neuropathy, I've always thought that you were better than him, even though I'm a big fan of Michael. Uh, The the Nexus 9-inch is a nice tablet, but it's too big for what I want a tablet for. 
So the seven works great. Anyway, it now I hit the ROM update, and all of a sudden I was taken to Lollipop, and I was pleasantly surprised. In what way? Uh, just the the gestures and things uh, are changed, uh, and it's it's a nice way to uh, to view the world. Everything's kind of com- condensed into uh, single gestures rather than being separate on each side of the screen and little things like that. And the the, the Rolodex feature of the uh, you know, as you were talking about swiping uh, apps out of the way, is is very nice on five point one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like having a really coherent way to kill processes on a mobile device. It seems like, for whatever reason, um, and Curtis, oh, that is that my phone? Someone calling Skype? It's not me. Is someone it's calling not me. Skype on my phone? We're already talking. I think it's Jackstar, but he's calling. Yeah. He's calling the wrong Skype account. Let him. Let him hang. Just for well, right let now. me see if uh, I, I, this might be the best call Jack Star has had to our show, and he's had some good ones. Well, we can get them back together anyway. The the, the I had a SS three ninety six with a four four barrel carburetor, and I know all about that. Uh, Are you with me that it's worth uh, it just to go with an electronic ignition system? I, I, I think so. For the modern fuels, right. the thing is, you were using. 100% gasoline back then. It's very difficult to find 100% gasoline anymore. Well, by and that you're talking about right. uh, it was leaded. leaded and it was it poisonous. Was, well, it, no, just the fact that it was 100% gasoline, not 10% ethanol as, as most of the gasolines are now. Well, there's uh, a lot they, of they really rob performance and and compromise the the kind of uh, you know, fuel mileage you think you're going to get out of that. And my first I really prefer the summer blend of gas. Uh, yes, absolutely. Well, Say that again, Curtis? What? No, no, that's... Anyway, I hear you. Well, no, what did you say about the summer blend? What? There, there's different blends of gas based on the weather conditions. That, really? So that you, the gas you get in, at the winter is mixed differently than it is in the summer, but that's a long story we can talk I've about. I've noticed in the summertime, it does taste a little more salty. <laughs> there's less... It does. There's well, less water nice, in, you know, in the... In the wintertime, there's less water. In the summertime, they can add more water because uh, you can the absorption or the, the I'm trying to think of the, the technical term, but the absorptivity or the solubility of water in gasoline increases with the temperature, so you can put more water in it hmm. without without having it come out. And my first upgrade was Windows 3.3 to Windows 95 on a 75 megahertz Packard Bell. Boy, that's a no, name. That's, that's a name you. Yeah, that is a name you do not hear any longer. Although Packard Bell is still in business in Europe, did you know that? Mm, that what's in a name? I didn't. Well, no, yeah. it's the same company. It is not. Okay. It's they not some. It's not some third party out of China that just bought the name. They, they, but they just had such a horrible reputation in the United States. I remember my first computer was a Packard Bell, and they were so loaded up with garbage. That, oh yes, and, and what's really amazing is that it seems to me that the PC industry hasn't really learned any lessons from that. I mean, they're just as slopped up with bloatware today as they ever were. Well, that's what Windows with Bing is—is is a bloatware operating system. Well, I have not found that to be the case with Windows 8.1 with Bing. Well, as I mean, far- it's, that integration with Bing is what the bloat is. Well, but the only thing that's required of an OEM license for uh, Windows 8.1 with Bing is that Bing be set as the default search engine. That's it. That's, that's right. And, 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 and from that, that, they get a full 
free licensed copy of Windows 8.1 just by yeah. m- making that the default search engine. Going back to that 75 megahertz Packard Bell, the thing is for all the bloatware that came with it, they didn't give you a word processor or any kind of activity apps. It was all things that had zero uh, money-making potential. Yeah, it was just for fun. You know, it was a fun right. machine to just play with and, and learn on, and uh, that's what we did. And I learned how to put a new hard drive in and uh, and reinstall <laughs> Windows 95. It was a, it was a nice uh, a learning opportunity. How do you put a hard drive in? That sounds interesting. Um, very carefully. Hmm. Well, mm-hmm. uh, Neuropathy, we thank you for the call. Yeah. I'm I'm now going to hang up on you unless you have please, something else you'd like please. to no, no, bring hang. to the show. Okay, Bye. so he agrees with the idea that, yes, you in fact should consider an electronic ignition system if you are upgrading a 1968 Pontiac Firebird, which I, I prefer, I, I definitely prefer over the uh, Camaro of the same era, 68-69. Those two years... Those are the two cherry years for the uh, for the Firebirds and the Camaros, both of which yeah, followed similar body styles. The only difference between the 68 and 69 Firebird is that uh, the 69 had wing windows, whereas the 68, it was just a single pane window when you rolled it up all the way from the top to the bottom. That was it. That was the only... That era is just mwah, pristine. I love it. And... Uh, Apparently, everybody loves it because, you know, you look at some of these cars coming out now, they're sort of trying to get back to that old classic retro body style. style. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They'll never have the same metals, though. I used thank to do God. web development for a company that, uh, what are you talking about? That old, that, that Firebird, if you get in a wreck, you're going to survive it. Yeah, but the thing you is, uh, need... the cars from back then are just rust buckets. There's not well, a yeah, single car that, you're but... driving around in from, that was made in the last. 20 years that's going to rust out on you at least not that i know of i own a 1996 pontiac sunfire it's my it's still to this day my primary vehicle that i drive around in. why because i don't like having a car payment thank you very much that's the biggest reason why i still and it's in perfect condition i mean the paint interior mechanically it's in amazing shape so i still drive it around who cares why not and there is this not. Me, I need an oil change. There is not a spot of rust anywhere on that entire automobile. It's a ni- it's a nineteen year old car, and I'd like to know what. Well, what they did was they started using different metal, but I don't know what exactly it was they switched to, and I don't know why it took them so long either. I mean, it seems like way earlier than was the case. Somebody within the automotive industry would have said, "You know what? That rust problem." You know, maybe we should do something about that. <laughs> you would think that somewhere along the line in all of that uh, 90 years, 95 years of automotive manufacturing history prior to the rust-free era of automotive manufacturing, someone would have said, hey, rust, yeah, let's put a stop to that. What do you think? I think maybe there maybe <laughs> yeah. there was a belief within the automotive manufacturing industry that by allowing cars to continue rusting out they would in fact increase their sales maybe it was that old top hat with a monocle type of business approach (laughs) you want the undercoat correct that must uh that must have been what they were thinking uh you're gonna want that you're gonna want that true coat 
Uh, you don't get that true coat, you're going to get oxidation. And, oh, boy, the sky's the limit is what can, far as what can happen after that. I don't want the true coat. You said you got the car for 19.5 without the true coat. I come down here and now you're wasting my time and my wife's time. And I'm paying 19.5 for this car. If you haven't seen Fargo, I recommend that film. Hardly. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> if you want to be on the show, the number to call 573-837-4948. 573-837-4948. This happens every time we do a show. We have stacks of crap to talk about, and we don't get to any of it, which means one of two things. Either we're doing an amazing broadcast, or we're just totally screwing the pooch here. (laughs) Is it possible to do both? No. As one of my my radio station bosses used to say, "Uh, Michael, you're either going up like this, and he would angle his hand like upward like a graph moving upward, or you're going down like this. And then he would invert the angle and move his hand downward like a graph descending. But there's none of this, which was him putting his hand at an even level and moving it across my face. No, you're either going up or you're going down. And unfortunately, that's a philosophy that, as I'm getting older, I'm starting to actually acknowledge may be. Real. Well, I know which direction my radio career is going, at least. Uh, Michael, you're either doing this or you're doing this. This is the kind of just sort of like, here is something axiomatic that I'm going to impart upon you this morning at 4.30 a.m. That's the kind of bullcrap I had to listen to every morning in radio. Ugh. God. And I'm thinking about getting, I I, I am thinking about getting back into radio. Just because I really do. That reminds me, did you see what I sent you last night? No. What? Uh, I... Yeah, I, I found the job for you with, uh, I want to say it was Oh, yeah, I saw that. CBS. Yeah. The the problem is, I'm not an ugly man. It's 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 just I'm I'm kind of fat, so I don't know how well I translate. Uh, this is tech, dude. Well, that's you true. You either have a beard or you're fat. You know what? That That's actually true. How could you ask a guy to talk about technology while simultaneously being somebody that anybody would want to have sex with? You can't ask that of somebody. I'm asking... That's a dichotomy. Someone's... Thank you, because I would not have come up with that word. Someone is asking an individual to talk tech. They cannot also ask that individual to, in any way, be sexually attractive to other people. It's uh, So I think, now that you say that, there's a level of confidence I'm finding in myself that I didn't have, I wasn't feeling previously when it comes to applying for that job. I may fill out a resume. Who knows? I think you should. Your demo reel is waiting. Um, let's see. Where broadband is a utility, 100 megabits per second costs just $40 a month. I don't think that's any In surprise. Romania. This is from Ars Technica. They're saying that um, these municipalities, where the municipality, the city government, is stepping in in order to provide internet access to the citizens, the peasants, the plebs. As they should. The plebs, yes, as should be the case. Sorry, yeah, yeah you know, you I'm becoming had, a socialist. Sorry, shoot me. Yeah. You and I had a, a conversation that would have been great for the air about what access to technology and information is doing to the minds of, of everyone, the changes that are happening, and I decided to join you in your socialist uh, ways to say that 
I feel like the government is really falling, any government is falling behind if they don't put that access in front of all of their citizens to keep it a level playing field. We're going to get left behind by people who have cheap and fast access to data. The internet is something that people should have access to in the same way they have access to electricity, the same way they have access to water, all of these utilities that people take for granted that are just a part of day-to-day life in a modern society. That's how mm-hmm. I view the internet. And that's why I really do enjoy country living, but that's a deal breaker for me. I could never live in the country because I have to have legit internet access. I just I yeah, have I to. Lived, I lived in the country for a while and I had a really slow DSL connection. And that that was oh so frustrating. It was nice to not have neighbors, but it was very frustrating when you tried to use the web. So when a municipality is providing internet access to people, the market reacts and adjusts, and uh, we see forty dollar per month internet connections at a hundred megabits per second. That's really amazing. I I want to know. I cannot believe that in ten years from today. And by the way, this is one of the most disappointing aspects of the Obama presidency. I thought that when he became president, we were going to see all of these federal initiatives that were going to bring about all these different options people would have at their disposal in terms of how they get on the Internet, and it has just not happened. The uh, scheme for getting online in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, where I live, is exactly exactly the same today as it was in January of 2009 when Obama took office. That's one of the biggest, in my view of things, one of the biggest disappointments of his presidency. Otherwise, he's a reincarnation of Bush. That's another discussion altogether. So uh, if you're a Bush fan, you have a hard time finding all that much to be disappointed by in President Obama. But that Internet thing, I I, I just saw these broad new horizons that were going to open up to all of us as he came into office, we'll just, that it just never happened. We have a caller. Let me go ahead and take this because we only have about a minute left. Hi, you're on the air. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Biff Loading. Hey, man. How are you hey. doing? Not bad. Yourself? Hey. I'm I'm great. I think Curtis is okay. Curtis, are you okay? Um, I'm I'm living. All right. We'll just accept that. In, so what can we do for you, here. buddy? you got about 30 seconds, literally about got 30 here, seconds. Uh, under the wire, I just want to get your opinion on the DirecTV AT&T merger if you haven't discussed it yet. Okay, well, I will say, uh, in terms of my analysis, the only thing I really have to contribute is to say that it was something on the order of a 40... The value of this merger came to something on the order of like $42 billion, just a ridiculous amount of money. And I think just that alone should be criteria upon which the government says, no, that can't go through. There ought to be some sort of a dollar amount if a, if a company's value is assessed at a certain dollar amount or more, they're just not allowed to merge or do anything of that nature. I'm just becoming an, a, a communist. Well, this, was a, this is a reaction to Comcast taking over so much stuff. So, I mean, from that point of view, it's you know one company trying to compete against another that just continues to grow. So I do like that. AT&T and DirecTV can potentially compete with Comcast still with that. But what I want to know is what but are they going to do it's to a make cr- both services better? Yeah, it's a crappy form of competition because it's not going right. to give us any sort of new internet connectivity that we didn't have before. It's not going to result in any sort of internet connectivity rollouts that otherwise wouldn't have occurred. It's not going to do anything for consumers. Not at all. 
Anyway, that's it. This is the spec sheet. We hope you enjoyed tonight's broadcast. The first broadcast we've done since I had my kid and just chaos erupted on uh, this side of Van Dieven Enterprises. So um, we thank you for joining us tonight. We're going to do a great job from here going forward of bringing regularly scheduled episodes to you. Of the spec sheet with Curtis Thornton and Michael Van Dieven. My name's Howard. You guys have a good night. <laughs> and I'm Joe. <laughs> Thank you. See you guys. Bye, Curtis. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.